what is the secret to Jewish survival? Today, more than ever, it is clear that the Jewish people's mere existence is miraculous. Because despite every single struggle and challenge we've experienced in Jewish history, the world is never on the Jewish team. And you would see, you would think that if the world is not supporting Jews and their homelands, why do they not just dissipate off the face of the earth? This week's parasha, Parsha's Truma, we learn about the tabernacle, the Mishkan. Hashem gives us a commandment. Vasuli mikdash Make me a dwelling place so I can dwell within it. Make me a sanctuary so I can dwell within you in this world. The Mishkan was a very small structure. There are so many details that the Torah goes on. There's almost 600 psukim in the Torah that speak about the details of the Mishkan, what beams, what type of wood, what type of materials need to be used in the Mishkan. There is so much detail. And you would think this is so irrelevant. We don't have a base on Mikdash. We're not in the desert. They only really were in the Mishkan for 40 years and for a short time in Israel when they finally conquered after 14 years. What is the purpose of the details of the Mishkan? Even more so, there is one very strange mitzvah. And the mitzvah is regarding the Aaron. The Aaron was the Ark. The Ark was the holiest item in the holiest place, in the holiest spot. That literally sat at the place that the Kabbalah tells us, the Zohar tells us, that Hashem literally took the ground from where the Aaron would be from the Kodesh HaKadashim and created the world. Currently on Harabayas, Kodesh HaKadashim, the holiest place, is where the Ark stood. The Ark within it held Aaron, Luchais, Veshivrei Luchais, the broken Luchais, and the complete Luchais, as well as a Torah scroll. And on top of the Ark stood the two Krovim, the two baby-faced angels that looked at each other when the Jewish people worked together and were united and looked apart when the Jewish people weren't united. The Khan Gadol would come into this holy spot once a year, the holiest spot in Judaism, which is currently where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is situated in 2024. Yet, the Aaron had a very strange mitzvah attached to it. And the Torah tells us, Do not remove the badim, the poles from it. When the Jewish people traveled, there was poles that were basically included onto all the precious items, the menorah, the shulchan, the kiar. And these badim, these poles would help actually move and carry these items from one place to another when the Jewish people traveled. There were 40 travels in the desert in the 40 years that they were there. So every so often, even though in some places they were there for 19 years, they would have to actually move the holy items. When they moved the holy items, there were badim, there were poles that were attached to it. Now there's one item, the Aaron, that had these poles attached to it, but it's actually an Isra It's against the Torah to remove the poles from the Ark. The menorah, they kept the pole. They moved when they got to the new place. They removed the poles they put in storage. The shulchan, they put the poles in storage. But the poles of the Ara needed to remain. And there's a very simple question that's asked. Why? If you have a multi-million dollar painting, do you leave the transporting devices that are used to move the painting and leave it right next to the painting? No, you put it in storage. The Aaron 
got to the place that it was meant to be. And at some points in the base Hamikdash, this this prohibition was so strict that in the base Hamikdash that was standing for 380 years, the poles remained in the iron for 380 years, and it wasn't going anywhere. They weren't transporting, and if you tr- and if you remove the poles, there's very serious consequences. The question is why? If it's not moving anywhere, what is so powerful about the badim? What is so powerful about the poles? In order to understand this, we need to go back to 586 BC when the first temple is destroyed. When the first temple is destroyed, the Jewish people for the first time are entering the first diaspora. And during this time, Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai, who was the leader of the Jewish people at the time, he was entrusted with taking Jewish life that was so deeply ingrained with the temple, with the fact that every single day they would give karbana. Every single day they would dedicate it. Jewish life really lived in the heart of the temple. That is how Jewish life functioned. And all of a sudden, this temple is going to be destroyed. How are the Jewish people going to survive in diaspora? How are they going to move and actually create a new sense of Judaism? And it's interesting because the Rambam and the next few parashat, there's so much detail that's attached to the Mishkan and it seems so irrelevant. Why are we spending so much time talking about a structure that doesn't exist? What is so important about all these details? This temporary structure that only survived during the times when the Jewish people were in the desert, what is so important about it? What is the relevance? And Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai was entrusted with how are the Jewish people going to survive? There's a very interesting story that Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai had a lot of regret when he was, the Gemara tells us he's a lot of regret when he was about to die. Why? Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai was a leader of the Jewish people. How could he live with regret? And the story that it's referred to is Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai smuggles out of smuggles out of Jerusalem that at the time in 586 BCE was surrounded by the Romans with threat of destruction. In a, no one was allowed to get into Jerusalem. No one was allowed to enter Jerusalem. He puts himself inside a coffin and pretends to be dead. At that point, they end up smuggling him out of the walls because the only people that could actually leave the walls were dead people. At the border, they wanted to actually put spears in him to make sure he was dead. And his student said, Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai, this holy sage, you're going to disrespect his body like this. So miraculously, he sneaked out. He snuck out and he ended up meeting Vespasian. Vespasian was sent by Nero to come and destroy the temple. And when he gets there, he refers to Vespasian as emperor. And Vespasian says, you're not, I'm not emperor, I'm a general. And Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai says, the man that's coming to destroy the temple, that's his job. The sage, the leader of the Jewish people is meeting with Vespasian. And at that moment, they came to tell him that Nero had died and Vespasian is now the leader and the emperor of Rome. He's so impressed by Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakani's prophetic wisdom that he says to him, imagine the person that's coming to destroy the temple. He's basically putting the Jewish people through terrible suffering. He tells him, I'm going to give you three wishes. What are your three wishes? Whatever you want, I will give to you. And Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakai says three things. Sadaik, who was a very, very famous sage, had been fasting for 40 years because destruction had taken such a toll on him and he was trying to save the Jewish people. He said, I would like you to get a doctor for Sadaik. Think about it. Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakai can ask for anything. He's asking the emperor Vespasian, the emperor Vespasian who started building, who built the Colosseum, his his son, Titus, is going to essentially be the one to complete the destruction of the temple because Vespasian went back to Rome and left his son as a general in charge. 
This guy can do anything. He's the emperor of Rome. At that time, Rome was at its peak. And this man is, a, is an evil man, but he's so impressed by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka, he can give him anything. And it seems like, what would be a better decision? A better decision would be to ask him to save the Jewish people, to give them food, to give them water. Why is he, he ends up asking for a very low threshold. One, to give Tzadok a doctor. Two, in order to save the family of Shimon ben Gamliel, because Shimon ben Gamliel was a family that was attached to, that had a lineage all the way back to David HaMelech, to the family of King David. Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai thought it was important for the family, the lineage of King David, that would be the future Mashiach, should be saved. And the last thing is ten Yavna v'chachameha. Give me Yavna, this tiny little town, 12 miles north of Jerusalem, and give me that town so we can sit and learn Torah there. Rabbi Akiva didn't agree with him. And he said to him, didn't agree with these requests. That sometimes Hamid Hachamim asked for the wrong decisions, make the wrong decisions. Rabbi Akiva criticized, criticizes Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai. There were so many things that he could have asked for. Why Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai? And the fact that the future is that on his deathbed, he has some sort of regret that these were the three things he asked. But what was so revolutionary about Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai's request? Ten li yavna v'chachameha. Give me Yavna. Give me this city so we can sit and learn. And essentially through the city of Yavna, the Mishnah was written. And later the Gemara, the oral traditions, is going to be based on the Mishnah. Why is this so important for the Jewish people to sit and discuss menial laws? What happens if there's a lost object? What happens if something steals something? What happens if there's a slave? Jewish people, majority of the oral Torah is literally think very menial civil law, which you would think is completely irrelevant. Right now, Rabbi Yechonah ben Zakkai has the ability and the power to save the Jewish people forever. And instead, what is he worried about? What he's concerned about is creating a yeshiva. The Jewish people have been saved from terrible destruction. Countless times in Jewish history. The fact that we are alive here today, just after 75 years ago, 6 million of us were murdered. The fact that we are alive, the fact that we are thriving, the fact that we have Jewish communities all over the world is a miracle. There was no other people. There was no other ancient people that have survived. And there was no other ancient people that have experienced this much trauma, this much persecution. And everyone always asks, what is the secret to Jewish survival? How could it be that a people that don't have, didn't have a homeland for 2,000 years. And when they entered the homeland, we're continuously, we continued to be persecuted and killed and not supported for having a homeland. And it seems as though whatever we do, the world seems to criticize us. And it would seem like at some point we should give up. We're a minority of a minority. We're 0.2% of the population. Every single day, there are people intermarrying. Every single day, there are people that are literally outright and calling for our destruction. The fact that we have survived and these great empires haven't survived, it begs the question, what is the secret of the Jewish people? The secret of the Jewish people lies in a speech, a speech that was given in 1937 during the Peel Commission. Ben Gurion stands before General Peel and he gives one of the greatest speeches that I think 
Ben-Gurion, who wasn't a religious man, who's standing up and trying to create some sort of state of Israel. And Ben-Gurion is from a Russian-Poland border town. He has an accent. His first language isn't Hebrew. And the truth is, today, the Palestinians and their supporters love this narrative. They love to say that Ben-Gurion was David Green and Shimon Peres was Shimon Peresky. What makes us connected to the land? And Ben-Gurion, who wasn't a religious man, knew this. And he stands up in front of General Peel, trying to fight for some sort of state in the 1930, in 1936 to 1939, there was terrible wars. There was terrible war between the Palestinian, the Arabs and Jews that were living in the land, which led to the white paper, which led to the Jewish people not being able to actually escape during the Holocaust. A lot of terrible things happened. And during that time, there was talk of creating some sort of Jewish homeland. And Ben-Gurion was asked to defend the position of the Jewish people in front of General Peel. And it's one of the most powerful speeches, and I will read it to you. He says, 300 years ago, they came to the New World, which was America at the time, a boat. And its name was the Mayflower. The Mayflower's landing on Plymouth Rock was one of the greatest historical events in the history of England and in the history of America. But I would like to ask my Englishman sitting here on the commission, what date did the Mayflower leave port? What date was it? I'd like to ask the Americans, they know what date the Mayflower left port in England? How many people were on the boat? Who were the leaders? What kind of foods did they eat on the boat? Basically challenging the Americans at the time saying, do you know how the first Americans, the British, the white people, got to America in the first place? Do you know anything about your history? And he says, more than 303,000 years ago, long before the Mayflower, our people left Egypt and every Jew in the world, wherever he is, I've got chills, knows what day they left and he knows what food they ate. And we still eat that food every anniversary. And we know who our leader was. And we sit down and tell the story to our children and grandchildren in order to guarantee that it will never be forgotten. And we say our two slogans. Now we may be enslaved, but next year we will be free people. What is the secret of Jewish survival? That the Badim, that the Torah, that our 3,000-year-old Torah that connects us all together, that stands for morals and ethics, that is timeless, that does not, it's not, it, it doesn't have a spatial, a spatial ties, that Jews from all over the world, it doesn't matter what background we come from, we are all reminded of where our homeland is. We all reminded where we come from. We all know our history and that's what keeps us connected. We all know where the holiest place in the world stands. We know every detail. We know how to recreate very soon our temple on the Temple Mount because we all hold the Badim. Hashem knew that the Jewish people would be in diaspora for thousands of years. And how would we stay connected? We would be packing and repacking our suitcases through all the persecution that we, have, we will, that we have inevitably experienced over our lives. And Hashem tells us, don't remove the Badim. Hold on to the Torah. If you hold on to the Torah, not only do we have legitimacy to the lands of Israel, because we know where we come from. We know that this is our land. It is our history. It is our home because of the Torah. That is our only legitimacy to the lands of Israel. That is the promise that Hashem has given us. No matter what, we know that this is our land. Hashem continuously promises us again and again and again and again. It was like a funny meme that went around, but it was quite funny that there was 
um, a bunch of Jewish Voice for Peace Erev Rav people, Jews or affiliates of the, uh, they call themselves Jews. I'm not sure how Jewish they really are that support Palestine. And one of the rabbis, who's a female rabbi, was reading the Torah, trying to support the free Palestinians outside Washington. And every time she's trying to read the Torah, all of a sudden, times Hashem says, I will promise you the land, she whispers. And I will promise you the land, and I will promise you the land. All of a sudden, her voice goes into a whisper. It's impossible to be a Jewish person and believe in the Jewish experience without the recognition that the Torah belongs to us, that Eretz Yisrael belongs to us. And that is what keeps us around for thousands of years because we live with morals and ethics. We know that there is a guide to be living our lives in diaspora no matter what. We have stuck to our Jewish values no matter the circumstances and holding on tight to our Torah and what we stand for is what's going to keep us alive forever. So everyone wishing you a beautiful Shabbos. And remember, as long as the Torah is around, which will be forever because it's a timeless text, Am Yisrael Chai, the Jewish people remain alive forever. Wishing you a beautiful Shabbos.